The Beatles are a pretty nice band, and we've got a lot to say. The Beatles are a pretty nice band, talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfield a lot, so are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band, someday we'll judge if they're fine, oh yeah, someday we'll judge if they're fine. Hey, before we begin, we have a Discord now. You can yeah. find the link on our Twitter bio at We Can Pot It Out. It's cool. I know to... I always say this, but Twitter, let's see if it still exists by the time this is recording. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hopefully Discord still exists. I'm, I'm more confident in that. But uh, yeah, it's cool to chat with some people who are listening to the pod and have been nice about uh, things we've said so far. <laughs> Or at least yeah, understanding. Very understanding. <laughs> yes. That's very important. Got to get you into my life. Paul is looking for another kind of mind. Uh, it's amazing to me how Paul can mimic any genre he wants to. I do feel, though, this song's a bit sweaty. Like, it just sounds more of a tribute to Motown than a Motown song. Which is because that's what it is um the drums sound intrusive to me like finger snaps or hand claps would have been better i do like the chiming guitar at the end it's just that they use the horns in a more original way very soon the beatles do it's a solid tune just not my favorite no you are absolutely correct this is a total soul send-up in so many ways like the bass line the soulful, passionate Maca vocal that just really kicks into gear as it's fading out. Like, I'm actually sad when it ends because, to be honest, I want to hear more of him going nuts as it fades out. And I love the theory about how, like, when a song fades out rather than just ends, it goes on forever. And that is a world that I would love to live in, personally. Um, but, like, everything about this song is just super in your face. Like, it's just meant to cut through everything else on the radio, your turntable, your speaker, it just has to get in to your life. Absolutely. I, I feel like, though, Paul's, even when Paul's shouting, it's controlled. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Like, like It wasn't like Kurt Cobain where you thought it would, it would just, like, dive off the deep end. No, I mean, the Paul, the Paul shouters are, are controlled affairs, um, but it's a gear, it's like, it's like the fifth gear of a car that he has. Mm. That he's able to just turn on when he wants to. Well, John particularly admired the lyrics that got to get you to my life, but that's because he thought it was about LSD. <laughs> In fact, it was about marijuana. <laughs> Paul said he wrote the song when uh, he was first introduced to pot. Uh, I'd been a rather straight working class lad, but when we started to get into pot, it seemed to be quite uplifting. I didn't have a hard time with it. It to me, it was mind-expanding. Literally, mind-expanding. Yeah. And, um... In the year of our Lord, 2023, Paul is still needing it every single day of his life, apparently. Uh, yeah. Uh, over the weekend, a video surfaced of him uh, smoking the doobie. So, good for him. I remember I was I watched this video that was kind of about news articles from a, like certain years in the 80s and uh, there was the time that he got busted in at the border of I believe it was Japan right for it for was pot. Japan. He, 
Yeah, and he's like, I'm never touching it again. We're like, uh huh. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure, grand he was, dude. He was scared straight for a while. Sure. And he realized um, that he's a freaking beetle. He's a freaking beetle over here. He's hey. going to enjoy the Mary Jane. The song took some time to get right in the studio on the Anthology 2 album and, of course, the Revolver box set. Uh, you could hear the first day's recording where it was played at a harmonium and sounding different than the final arrangements. There was more John and George involved, if I remember. The original version included a harmonium and acoustic guitar and a partly a cappella section repeating the words, I need your love, sung by Paul, John, and George. In a description of author Rob Rodriguez relative to the R&B style shouter that the band completed in June, this version was more Hyde Ashbury than Memphis. Author Devin McKinney similarly views the early take as radiating peace in a hippie vein, and he recognizes the arrangement as a forerunner to the sound adopted by the Beach Boys over 1967 and 1968 under albums Smiley, Smile, and Wild Honey. Now let's get to the stuff Andrew really cares about. The brass was closed by <laughs> to the bells of the instruments, then put through a limiter. This session on May 18th marked the first time the Beatles had used a horn section, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, you'd think that they would have done that before, but, you know, why not Revolver now? But yeah, as you can tell, like, these horns are slamming, like, nearly to the brink of distorting, but, like, just don't get there. And I'm a sax player. I can only dream of, like, getting that sound recorded, to be honest. Like, it's, like, goals. Goals. And it sounds just so huge, so full, so in your face. I, I personally love it. And we're talking about 1966 here. Yes. And you're, you're still pursuing that sound. Hey, man, people have been pursuing the sounds of the 60s ever since the 60s. It's like everyone still go, is like goes back to that kind of sound of, of recording, whether it be like, you know, like the Daptone record label with all their soul stuff that sounds like straight out of 1968. Hmm. They're... they're you know, people people chase that kind of stuff. You know, th- there's a reason why tube amplifiers are still like in vogue with musicians <laughs> and old mics. Everyone's looking for that sound. It's kind of cute. Yes, it's cute. Th- that's to be dismissive of that. <laughs> um, so Jeff Emmerich got into specifics since he was the one responsible for the engineering on this album. Jeff said no one had ever heard strings like that before. Neither had they heard brass the way I recorded I got to get you into my life. I closed mic the instruments, actually put the mics right down into the bells instead of the stereo technique of placing them four feet away, and then applied severe limiting to the sound. There were only five players on the session, and when it came time to mix the song, Paul kept saying, I wish we could make the brass sound bigger. George Martin replied, well, there's no way we're bringing it back for another session. We've got to get the album wrapped up, and there's no more budget for outside players anyway. That's when I came up with the idea of dubbing the horn track onto a fresh piece of two-track tape, then playing it back alongside the multi-track, but just slightly out of sync, which had the effect of doubling the horns. I loved Paul singing on that song, too. He really let loose. Well, he agrees with you there. Yep. At one point, while Paul was recording the lead vocal, John actually burst out of the control room to shout his encouragement. Evidence of the camaraderie and teamwork that was so pervasive during the Revolver sessions. The boys, they're getting along. Wow. Uh, yeah, they're still getting along here. 
still getting along. Yeah. So again, I love the creativity of like the tech people here. Like this is such a pivotal time in recording history with like these young, young people who are just, you know, changing the rules. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The Beatles hired two members of Georgie Fame's group, The Blue Flames, whom John and Paul do from the London club scene. Eddie Ford and Peter Coe performed along with other freelance jazz musicians. I said, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that is a really good song. You, uh, you reminded me of that last night. Uh, we were having a little chit-chit-chat. Chit-chat. Chitty-chat, chit-chat. Uh, Peter Coe said the Beatles wanted a definite jazz feel. Paul and George Martin were in charge. There was nothing written down, but Paul sat at the piano and showed us what he wanted. We played the rhythm track in our headphones. I remember that we tried a few times to get the feel right, and then John, who was in the control room, suddenly rushed out, stuck his thumb aloft, and shouted, Got it! George Harrison got a little bit involved, too, but Ringo sat playing Droughts in the corner. And apparently Droughts uh, is Checkers. I didn't know that. Hmm. Yeah, I, you learn something new every day. Mostly it's old uh, old. F- Fangled British terms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for me, that's definitely the case. Yeah. Um, hey, it's time for Ray Davies said. I love this segment. Yeah, I'm going to miss it. Same. Ray Davies said, I've got to get you into my life. Jazz backing. It just goes to prove that Britain's jazz musicians can't swing. <laughs> Paul's singing better jazz than the musicians are playing which makes nonsense of people saying jazz and pop are very different. Paul sounds like Little Richard. Really, it's the most vintage Beatles track on the LP. I think I'm going to agree with half of what he said there. Yeah. It's like he realized halfway he's supposed to be mean. Yeah. (laughs) Cliff Bennett and the Rebel Rousers, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and Daniel Johnston have covered this song. The Earth, Wind, and Fire cover is one of my favorites. It's uh, it's long, right? It's like five minutes or... It's a long... It, it's else. a longer... Like, they really stretch it out with some guitar solos and horn runs. That's very fun. Love Count Zero. Huh. Hmm. <laughs> sure. Josie Scale. Uh, I give this a hesitant Josie. That's fair. Uh, I'm going to give it a... Yeah! I think it's great. I love uh, I love this Paul song. The Beatles are a pretty nice band. Talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfit a lot. So are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band. Someday we'll judge if they're fine. Oh yeah, someday we'll judge if they're fine. <laughs> 